Good morning, church family. Uh, just so good to be with you all this morning. Um, and I really mean that. I really mean that. Um, I love being with my family, and this is my uh, true and forever family here. Um, man, this, just, just that we get to come together and uh, worship our Heavenly Father together. It's an honor to do that with you. And this, this language of um, coming to our Heavenly Father, it's just it's so familiar with us, isn't it? And I bet if your upbringing was anything like mine, the, the first uh, prayer that you prayed and, and memorized was the Our Father. It's just very familiar language with us. And that's what I want us to consider this morning as we meditate in God's Word together, is God's heart as our Father. What I want you to ask yourself is, what image comes to mind when you think about God as your father? And specifically, what do you picture your father is like when you come to him on your bad days? On your worst days? When you go to him in your brokenness, in your messiness, what is he like? What's his demeanor? What's his attitude towards you? What's his heart? What is this dad like? See, all of us have, to one degree or another, an imperfect understanding of God as our father. Part of that is we grew up with imperfect earthly fathers, right? And it's just really easy, consciously or not, to expect our heavenly father to behave the same way as our imperfect earthly fathers. Not only that, but most of us probably have experiences in life that seem to teach us what he's like. Or religious institutions that we were raised in that taught us about who God is as our Father. Teachings and impressions about God that aren't always what God says about himself through his word. You see, what we think about when we think about God has massive implications on our lives and how we relate to him. If, when you think about God as your father, he is some constantly disappointed, perpetually angry, and frustrated at your failures kind of dad, you will never run to him in your shame. If God is some aloof, unintimate, cold, and distant kind of dad, then you won't run to him in the moment of your shame. You will turn to all sorts of other things that you think will help you. But if, by God's grace, you see and know the God of the Bible as that kind of dad that is warm and compassionate, filled with mercy and grace, abounding in love and mercy towards you, that changes everything about where you go in your shame. So this morning... We're going to be spending our time looking at what is possibly the most well-known of Jesus' parables to inform us about who our Heavenly Father is. And we're going to try to breathe out this story by really thinking about how these initial Jewish readers would have, would have heard it for the first time. And while we do that, I, I just want you to be honest with yourself and continue to ask yourself how this compares to your own thoughts about God. And good news, God already knows your thoughts. 
He, he's not surprised by them. He knows where they fall short. And he compassionately invites us this morning to rethink about that. To see him as the dad that he truly is. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in the context of our passage in Luke. See, Jesus in his ministry had been completely upending everybody's notions about who the father was and how he relates to the messiest of broken people. Jesus had been not just associating himself with, but dining with, drinking with, feasting at table with tax collectors, prostitutes, the worst sinners that they could see in their society, the most shameful of sinners. And the religious leaders in Israel are up in arms about it because to them, God does not associate himself with sinners. And neither should they. So in the beginning of chapter 15, the Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus grumbling, saying, what are you doing receiving and eating with sinners like these? And the following parables of chapter 15 are Jesus' response to them. You want to know why I spend all of my time with sinners? Well, let me tell you some stories about who my father is. The first Two parables show how God is is a God that pursues the lost. Like a shepherd with a a lost sheep or a, a person with a lost precious coin, our God is a God that actively pursues, finds, and rescues his lost treasure. That's why I spend all my time with sinners, says Jesus. And with the third parable, he takes it even farther to show us the Father's heart towards the shamefully broken. So let's pray one more time, and then let's look at our text. God, we come come before you, and um, again, we just keep praying because we need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. And I ask God that you would help us understand this text, not just in our head, but that it would sink into our heart. And God, we need your spirit to do that. Renew our minds this morning as we think about who you are, but God, by the power of your spirit, help that to sink into our heart that we might feel it and be changed by it. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Stop there. Because the Israelite hearing that for the first time would have responded with an audible gasp. The younger son says to his dad, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the first century Jew hearing this would have been absolutely appalled, saying, who does this spoiled, ungrateful brat think that he is? Because in this society, there was an inheritance. All of the father's land, wealth, possessions would have been passed down from father to son, but only, only once the father was dead. 
To demand an inheritance before that time was absolutely unthinkable, disgraceful, shameful. This son is basically saying, Dad, I wish that you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. I have no interest in a relationship with you. I just want your stuff. I don't want to be under you anymore, Dad. I want to strike it out on my own. Make my own decisions. Be free to live life however I want to live. I just want your stuff to do it. Jesus is already revealing something true about our own hearts here. The heart of this younger son is a picture of the sinful condition of man. In Romans chapter 1, God tells us about our own condition, that in our hearts we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. We don't naturally want God. We just want his stuff. We don't want to submit our lives to God. We, we, we naturally want to be our own little God. Make our own decisions. Live lives our way. We want to use his stuff to do it. We are the younger son. And now that we've placed ourselves in the story, let's, let's think back to our first century hearers. As they hear the demand of this son, they would have been anticipating the reaction of the father. Oh, you, you want what you're owed? Do you? I don't think so. In fact, you even asking that question... I think I'll take away my inheritance from you altogether. I'll give it all to your older brother. That's how a father should react to such a dishonorable son as this, right? But Jesus continues. And he divided his property between them. Tears in his eyes. Heart broken for his son, the father realizes that his son's heart is set on leaving him. And so he lets him with his inheritance. Man, know how big of a deal this would have been, church. Again, in this culture, this was a massive, massive self-sacrifice. This wasn't like he was dividing up his 401k or something. In this patriarchal society, a man's land and his livestock were his influence, his power, his namesake in the community. This would have been deeply humiliating and shameful for the father to do. It would have lowered him considerably in the eyes and respect of his community. Okay, son. Okay. If there's no keeping you, I'll let you go. I'll sell your share of the land and, and give you all that you ask. And just, just, just know I love you. But this, this son has no interest in prolonging his time there. He can't, he can't wait to get out of his father's presence. Verse 13. Not many days later... The younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. Again, I want your stuff, Dad, but I don't want to be anywhere near you. And there, far from the presence of his father, he squandered his property in reckless living. I'm finally free, 
his son must have thought. Finally free to fully enjoy life. I was held back before. Kept from fullness of life by my father. But now, now I can do whatever I please. I can pursue pleasure however I want. This is happiness. To live life as I want to live it. Eat, drink, and be merry. And he did. Squandering his dad's money in reckless living. Listen, not only did he shamefully waste his shamefully gained inheritance, but he wasted it in shameful ways. The older brother later reveals that this involved prostitution and in a foreign land to make matters worse in their context, pursuing his heart's desire till every last cent was gone. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. A mysterious providence holds back this famine until, I'm sure in the sun's eyes, it comes at the worst time. And I'm sure you've experienced something like this before, right? Money is already tight. You're already at max stress level, and then you lose your job, right? Or a global pandemic hits. Now, God? Now? And whatever sense of self-sufficiently you have left gets wrung out like a damp cloth. With nothing left in his pockets, a famine hits. And he's in a foreign land. Which means that he's now at the bottom rung of society. When push comes to shove and food is short, the poor foreigner is the first to lose out. So in utter desperation, verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. This parable is meant to, to paint us a picture of somebody in the most shameful, pitiful, lowly condition in the eyes of a first century Jew. And you think of the, the cultural uncleanness that pigs represent. This is an honorless, bottom-of-the-barrel job, if you could call it a job, which clearly isn't making him any money because he's starving, longing to be fed with the schlop that the pigs eat. More than likely, sleeping out in the pen with these unclean swine, covered in their filth, whatever decent clothing he had, shoes he had, sold off for food. And as he begs for pig food, no one gave him anything. Those friends that, that he made while he was living it up, yeah, they don't want anything to do with him now. This is rock bottom for the sun. Verse 17. But when he came to himself. That's an interesting phrase. 
But when he came to himself. See, this is a a Semitic saying for repentance. As if he wasn't in the right mind before. But then suddenly he awakes to his right senses. This rock bottom desperation working like smelling salts to wake him up to his foolish ways. This is often what it takes for us though, isn't it? For our own repentance. We run our rebelling race till its fullest course until there is no option left before we consider God. The Bible says that we are not naturally in our right senses. That we're naturally spiritually blind, keeping us from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And even that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But then, God, mercifully by his spirit, begins to whisper to us and move in our hearts. And like miraculous smelling salts for the dead, we wake up to our need for him. And so for this son, he came to himself, came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Right, so my chances for sonship are over. Right? I burned that bridge. I have no hope for that. But here's what I know. Even the lowliest of my dad's servants are well taken care of. They have more than enough to eat. Maybe. Just, just maybe. If I crawl to him on my hands and knees and beg, he'll take me in as a hired servant. And so sitting there in his filth, he starts to plan out his confession to his dad. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Man, on one end, this, the son finally gets it. He gets what he's done. He didn't just make a mistake, make some poor investments. He sees that he's sinned against God, and foremost that he's he's sinned against uh, God foremost, and that he's also sinned against his father. He gets that his only hope now is that he, if he goes to his dad in repentance, humbling himself, confessing his sin, and, and maybe, just maybe, he could be a, a servant in that land. You can imagine the fear he must have been feeling, the absolute humiliation that he was anticipating, just reciting this confession over and over to himself. If I just say the right words, if I just say the right words. And with this confession circling in his head and in his heart, verse 20, he arose and came to his father. Man, consider with me, consider with me what this means. He has absolutely nothing to his name, remember? Not even shoes for his feet. And he's in a distant land, which means that he's walking barefoot for days and days 
with nothing, nothing to accompany him but his anxious thoughts about what's coming. This son knows the shame and humiliation headed his way. He can't pull up to his dad's house in a, in a taxi with his hoodie up. Right? He's got to slowly walk back to this land, going through communities of people that know him and his shameful story. And I know my Irish brothers and sisters get this, and I, I grew up in a small town myself, so I know the feeling, that feeling where everybody knows everybody's business. Because of the way he left, he was very likely publicly jeered as he made his way back. Oh, look who it is! The son that wanted to strike it out on his own. How'd that go for you, big boy? A walking acknowledgement of his complete failure and the visceral shame that accompanies it. The ultimate walk of shame through his village until finally he approaches the very outskirts of his father's property. Back to verse 20. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, but while he was still a long way off, man, this is one of my favorite sentences in the Bible. You get this picture of the father just, just waiting for sitting on the porch, eyes fixed on the horizon. Is this the day? Is this the day that my beloved son returns to me? Watching, waiting, with this gaze fixed on the horizon until one day, while he's still a long way off, sees him coming. Is that? It can't be. Is that my son? Is that my boy? His father saw him and felt, felt what? <clears throat> felt anger? Felt disappointment? Felt embarrassment? His father saw him and felt compassion. Felt compassion. And ran. This dad doesn't wait for the son to come to him. He doesn't wait for him to get himself right, clean himself up. No, while he is still a long way off, the father runs to him. Man, imagine this scene with me, because I, again, I guarantee the first century listener was. Because in this society, patriarchs don't run. The older you are, the better positioned you are, you sit and people come to you. And he isn't some young Irish lad with a tracksuit on here, right? Like he would have he would have had a regal robe on, big, that he would have had to have hiked up 
in order to run to his son. Right? Like, this would have been humiliating for him to do. He doesn't care. Doesn't care because his son is home. So he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. Man, you can imagine the filth, the stench coming off of him means nothing to his dad. He bear hugs him, squeezes him. And while he's holding him, kissing his son's filthy neck, the son begins to recite his prepared confession. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love this because the father doesn't even let him finish. The father interrupts him. Shh. Servant, servant, come here. Come here. Run up to my wardrobe and get my best robe. You know that, that really ornate one with the frills and the, and the gold? Go get that. And come and put it on my son. And you, servant, servant, go, go get my son's ring. You know the one that says that, that he's my son? Yeah, go get it and put it on his finger. Oh, and you, son, look at your feet. Servant, go get my shoes, my shoes, and go get it and put it on his feet. Oh, and you three, you three servants. You know that fattened calf that we've been fattening up for a time of celebration? Go and get it and slay it because tonight we are celebrating. My son is home. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I like to think that Jesus took a little intermission in the telling of the story to go around picking the jaws up of all of his first century listeners because the compassionate actions of the Father would have been shocking in every way. Culturally appalling and shocking. And shocking for our culture here, too. I mean, he confessed, but, but surely he has some penance to do, right? I mean, surely he's got to earn his, his way back in a right standing with this God. God, help us to see your heart. Because it's so easy. We're so programmed to expect disappointment. Expect anger. Expect punishment. But instead, this dad, this dad gives his son the exact opposite of what we expect. Heart overflowing with compassionate mercy. Embracing him. Kissing him. Covering his shame with his own clothes. Declaring to the whole world that this is my son with a ring on his finger. Throwing a, a party for the whole neighborhood to hear. My son's home. 
He's not embarrassed, unashamed, overflowing with lavish love. Church, is this, is this how you picture your father's heart towards you? Because this is what he says it's like. I mean, there's a reason why this surprises us. There's a reason why we expect punishment from this dad and why the Israelite hearing this would have expected punishment. Let's circle back to that and let's finish our story first. Our story continues, verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. This is when we remember, oh yeah, there's a, there's a second son. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. See, the, the older son is out in the field working, right? And he starts coming in and he hears the pub music rocking. Fiddles are out. Servants are singing Danny Boy like he's never heard it before. Verse 26, and he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, didn't you hear? Your brother's come home and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And here we'd expect the older brother to be happy. Join in the party. Maybe even have the same heart as the father did. But he doesn't. He's raging. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. The older son causes a shameful scene outside the party. And I'm sure we've all been at a, father, uh, uh, a family gathering um, with some family drama, right, from one of the members. Uncle James is here, and he's outside throwing a, throwing a fit again about something. And what's the father do? What's the father do? His father came out and entreated him. Look, for the second time that day, the father goes out to restore a shameful son back into relationship with him. But the older son doesn't accept it. Verse 29, and he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, doesn't even call him his brother, when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? It's not fair, Dad. He doesn't deserve a party. He gets the fattened calf? Are you kidding me? Man, I'm the one that's been faithful to you all these years. If anyone deserves a party, it should be me. Your obedient son. Right? Isn't that what God cares about? To which our first century Jewish listeners would have jumped up and said, Amen! The older brother makes a good point. See, Jesus knows the heart of this Jewish crowd. He knows why they're struggling to receive the good news that he's preached to them. See, even though the gospel was present in the Old Testament, to many of his Jewish audience, they believed that God's love for them was based on their ability to keep the whole law. That God's love for them was based on their performance. 
on their religious upbringing, that they were born into the Jewish faith, that they were circumcised as babies if they were men, and that they kept all the commandments. Well, this is how you secure God's love. That's how you please him. And so to hear a story about a son that that made a complete shameful disgrace of the law and his dad, and yet somehow he's not only forgiven but celebrated? It makes no sense. So with the final punchline of the story, Jesus is again revealing what the Father's heart is like. That's what this whole parable is for. It's to show us the Father's heart. What is this Heavenly Father's heart towards shameful Sinners, what does this God concern himself with? Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Son, I I love you so much. I love you so much, just as much as as I do your younger brother. Right? But your, your brother was lost. Whereas you're found. You're, you're already with me. You already have a redeemed relationship with me. And that's what I want. You're already in my presence. And all that I have is yours. But not yet for him. Therefore, verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It was fitting to celebrate a wayward son being restored to his dad because that's what God cares about. Saving and restoring his children back into relationship with him. This is our story, church. This is what God's doing in the world to this group of religious leaders that asked with grumbling hearts, why do you spend all your time with sinners, Jesus? Jesus answers, because this is who my Father is. This is what I came to do, to bring restored relationship between broken, messy sinners and God, between the Holy Father and his wayward children. God has made us for an intimate, near relationship with him. It's what we see in the Garden of Eden, right? God dwelling in the midst of the garden with Adam and Eve. But because of their sin, their rebellion against God, they're removed from the garden, separated from the presence of God. And the same is now true for us because of our sin, because of our open rebellion against God, where we don't want God, we just want his stuff. Because in our condition, we can't dwell with the holy God. And the whole story of the Bible, right, It's God's rescue plan to restore his people back into relationship with him, back into his presence. That's his heart. That's his heart. Israel and its religious leaders have forgotten God's heart. And they've forgotten the father's mission and their purpose, just like the older son did. See, the Father's mission is to restore broken, messy sinners back to him, and Israel is supposed to be the family by which he did it through. So what's the Father's plan to accomplish this? How does this God restore sinful people back into relationship with him? 
who the religious leaders would have said by keeping all of his commandments. But we know, church, we know the problem is none of us can do that. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're unable to earn right standing with God through our own obedience. None of us can. And I mentioned earlier that there's a reason we expect punishment from this dad in this story. We expect it because we know it's what we deserve. Right? Like our, our own hearts know it. Just like this younger son, we know we don't deserve sonship. Our sin has put us in debt and we can't pay it off. So what does God do? Well, here's the ultimate gospel truth that's in this parable. While the older son in the story fails to love his brother, forgetting the father's heart and his mission, there's a better older son that came. The better older son goes with his brother when he first leaves the house in disgrace in order to pursue him. He's there, present during all of the reckless living of his brother, whispering to him the whole time, there's still hope, brother. Just, just come back home with me. He sits there in the pig slop with his brother, sustaining him with food. He's the one that awakes him to his right senses, picks him up out of the slop, gives him the idea to go back home. This brother picks him up and carries him home himself. He willingly endures the mocking and shame of the people as they go. And when he gets to the father, the older son joyfully says, we got him home, dad. We got him home. Now just as we agreed, I'll take on his punishment. I'll pay off all of his debts with my wages. He can have my inheritance. Give him my robe of righteousness. Call him clean. Give him my signet ring. Call him your son. Let's slay my fattened calf, dad, and let's celebrate. There's a better older son, a better older brother, and he's the one telling the parable. Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived the perfect holy life that we couldn't. And in his perfect spotless condition went to the cross and on himself paid the full punishment for our sin. Once and for all time. So that anyone, anyone that would come to him in repentance, trusting in what he's done for them, would be counted completely clean and restored back into relationship with him. Completely clean. No residual guilt left over. No condemnation. No penance left to do. No approval to earn. Through faith in Jesus, counted fully righteous and completely loved by God. His love for you isn't based on your performance. It's based on your profession of his. 
I want us to experience God's heart for you this morning, church. But to truly embrace his Father's heart for you, you have to understand why he can have this heart towards you. We can go to our Heavenly Father just like his Son does to his, because for those who trust Jesus, your past, present, and future messiness, filthiness, sin, it's been paid for. It's done. And he now looks to you as a spotless son or daughter that he loves. And listen, there's nothing you can do to change it. So you can run to your father. Not cleaning yourself up first, but just as you are. Whatever messy condition you find yourself in right now this morning, we get to go to our father and he will run to you. Not with disappointment in his eyes, but with overflowing love and compassion. He will embrace you in his arms and call you his. Man, because of what Jesus has done, you aren't just accepted as a lowly servant in the kingdom. Remember when that was his best hope? No, he makes you a son or daughter in his family. And not after you do your due penance or spend enough time in purgatory or perform enough good works, but instantly restored to the family of God, embraced by your Father. He covers your shame with his own spotless clothes. He marks you a child with a ring on your finger. He comforts and heals your wounds with shoes on your feet. He does it because of embarrassment discreetly bring you in. He throws a party. He's proud. My son is home. My daughter is home. This is your father's heart for you, church. I pray you would feel it. That it would sink deep down in your hearts so that in the moments of your deeper shame, you know this is your father's heart. Always. Always, always. All right, so, so what do we do with this, guys? And I, I know I'm over time, as usual. Uh, let me give some application quickly. Firstly, <clears throat> if you've been running from your heavenly dad, or you feel like you're in the doghouse with God somehow, you're either out in the pig pen far away or maybe you're just sitting on the edge of his land just, just out of sight where you think maybe you can hide from him. Listen to me. Go home. Go home. Go home. It's time. Just, just start walking. Whatever condition you're in, just start. He will run to you. Confess to him. Get in his word. Get around other believers. Entrust yourself to this dad. He's good. Secondly, and what, if, what if you can't feel this father's heart for you? Or maybe you don't let yourself feel his heart for you? 
What do you do if you relate to this younger son and you feel like, that's it, but man, I know he loves other people that way, but not me. You don't know the things I've done, Will, or the things that have been done to me. You're right. I don't. But God does. He knows the depths of your brokenness, your hurt, the depths of your sin better than you do. He knew the full depths of it when he paid for it on the cross and cried out, it is finished. I just, if, if you feel like your sin is too egregious to be forgiven, I would just say your value of Jesus is probably too low. The king of kings was slayed for you. It's the most costly sacrifice in the universe. Oh, it can pay for your sins and a trillion more like it. And he willingly did it to restore you back into the family of God. More than that, listen, God is not ashamed of your shameful story. He loves it. <laughs> he loves it. In fact, he is glorified more in your story, finds more joy in your story than if it was all nice and clean. Remember the parable of the lost sheep just before this? Here's how that one ends. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God loves your story of his grace. So don't hang on to your shame. If you want a practical way to feel more freedom in that, I just would recommend sharing your shame with somebody. Someone that you trust, a believer, and let them speak the Father's heart back to you. Lastly, for some of us, the conviction lies in having the heart of the older son. You've lost sight of God's heart. Your heart's just kind of hard. It thinks that you're owed something somehow. Just caught up in the prideful affairs of your works around the house. Forgetting his mission to seek and save the lost and how he calls you to be a part of it. Forgetting that you came from the pig slop too. And to that I would just remind you of the Father's heart that he still loves you too. Just as we saw in the story that he comes out for the older son as well to restore him back into relationship. Let's repent, church, and ask his spirit to soften our hearts that we would have hearts that seek the lost just as the Father does. As I said earlier, God already knows our thoughts about him. They know He knows where they fall short this morning. But this is the incredible picture he gives us. It's amazing. This is your Father's heart as he revealed it. As he revealed it. So let's pray together now and ask that the Spirit would help us to believe it. Lord God, I, again, we just come to you. God, I thank you for this story. I thank you that you tell us who you are. That this is your heart. God, it's amazing. It's breath, it's it's breathtaking and nearly unbelievable. 
so I ask for your help. God, would you help us? Actually, I wasn't planning on doing this, but could you put your, put your heads down? Make sure your eyes are closed. And just if, if there's any shame that you feel as we're going through that story where it feels like, man, this God can't love me. I don't feel like I can be embraced by him. Would you just discreetly raise your hand up a little bit? Keep your eyes closed, everybody. You can put them down. Everybody, everybody do this, but especially those that raise your hand, just, just imagine yourself, picture yourself on the edge of your father's property. Think, be thinking of that shame, whatever it is that you feel. I want you to just picture, picture your father on the edge of the property. He sees you for the first time. He knows your shame. And just imagine him running to you right now. Joy on his face. And imagine him embracing you, holding nothing back, hugging you as hard as he can, tears down his cheeks, kissing your neck. He knows all of it. He doesn't care your home. And imagine him putting his clothes on you and calling you clean. Imagine him putting a ring on your finger and saying, you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. Imagine him taking off his shoes and putting them on your feet, caring for your hurt. Imagine him throwing a party for you. All of heaven rejoicing that you came back to him. Imagine being received by this dad. He knows it all. And he welcomes you back. As we pray in the name of Jesus, whatever's going on in our hearts, God, would you receive us back to yourself? We repent of it. We ask for your forgiveness and we come to you in faith because of Jesus. We can come to you in faith and trust that you will embrace us in your arms. Thank you, God, for this picture of yourself. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.